Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. The world is made up of continents, right? Now, continents are made up of countries. Countries are made up of states. States are made up of communities. A community is made up of a garden of families. A family is made up of um, children, mother and father. And the point man, the head of that system is the man. So if you want to categorically break down and attack the world at large, if you start with the man, every other thing falls apart. Every single thing falls apart. Historically, if we look at where negative feminism came from, right? I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that feminism does not have its positive side, it does, but there are some negative parts of it. If you see where negative feminism came from, it is a derivative of men not being who they ought to be in the home front. Right? God calls us to love our wives as Christ loved the church and give himself for her. Now People have misunderstood what that verse is saying because when they read it, they say, women submit to your husband as unto the Lord and then men love your wife as Christ. They feel like, a lot of times, people feel like women have more of the work to do with submitting. But that's not the case. That verse says, men in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, it says, men love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, that is radical. That is mind-blowing. It means, as a man, I cannot be annoyed or angry at my wife for any reason at all. Think about the worst thing a wife can do to a husband. Now, I'm using wife and husband relationship because that's where it is. Think about the worst thing a wife can do and put Christ in that situation and the church in that situation and think about it. Think in that situation, what will Christ do? You have to understand that forgiveness is not is not something that we have to go and grovel and ask for as a believer. Christ has given it to us as our possession. That's mind-blowing. So it means, as a husband, there is absolutely nothing my wife would do that I'll be angry and annoyed and I'll go and tell the Lord, see this thing she did, I'm angry, and the Lord will say, okay, yes, right on, that's true. I'll ask her, how can she do that? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Now, when you think about it, we have more of the responsibilities. But over time, men have lost the role, their God-ordained role, to be a servant leader. Because the kind of leadership that Christ emulates is servant leadership. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's proactive. It's not because of, it's in spite of. Now, it means that when men do their part, it's very easy for men to submit to that kind of law. Right? The Bible says, Paul speaking, he says, the love of Christ constrains me. So when we love Christ so much, it's because of his love that we are all saved. It's in reaction to his love that all of us are believers. Like we see the love of Christ, it brings us to our knees. We believe it so much, and we have this radical change in us. And that love is what we hold on to. That love is what we 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 enjoy. That love is what we bask in. And that's the difference maker. 
And that is what God is calling us to. And it's so mind-blowing, right? And if you look at culture right now, a lot of men are straying away from that. They're becoming more selfish, more self-centered. They're becoming more, more loving less. We, are th- we think love was made for, for just the ladies. We are the strong guys, strong man. Nothing, nothing they do with that kind of thing. But what I'm about to talk about here is a call back to who God has made us to be. It's a call back to who God has made us to be. And as someone who has struggled with his own fair share of temptation, addictions in the past, one thing that happened to me when I got saved was I I kind of, I'm not glad that I went down the path I did in my life, like, Longest part of my life. I got saved when I was, I think, 26. There about 26 years. So for 26 years, I lived a life out of God. And it was it was the darkest thing ever. And then I got saved. And since then, I've been in Christ. And when you ask me how old am I, I calculate from that time till now. Not from when I was born. Because I, I, don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think it was life. And... I'm actually grateful for that perspective, although actually I've not done all those things, but I'm grateful for that perspective because what it does is it gives me insight to what I struggled with because I remember my struggles clearly. Like, I, I cannot forget. I can't forget. Thank God for salvation and everything and I understand who I am in Christ and I'm living that life, but I remember who I was without him. Now, the advantage that has given me is insight to understand what I struggled with, with why I struggled, and how many times I failed. So with that understanding over the years, what the Lord has made me realize is that as men, we are made to undergo three tests in life. Now, when I read the scripture about saying that um, we do not have a high priest, far from our own affections, and that he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. I'm just like, okay, so I don't understand. Every temptation in this world, Christ went through it. That's not possible because there are new temptations now that were not there then. For instance, social media was not there then. Porn was not there then. Um, Maybe um, weed, smoking weed was not there then. So how is it that he went through all those those things? And then further study made me realize that there are three fundamental temptations that every man undergoes. Now, every other temptation is a derivative of these these three. Like, they are fundamental, but every other temptation is a derivative of these three. And dialing back to the Old Testament, we can see how this started. We can see the children of Israel going through these three things also, right? It's what um, Moses was calling back to in, in Exodus. I want to read Exodus. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. I'll read. It says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. Verse 2. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, 
which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of their life. And that thy days may be prolonged. Verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that thee may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5, which is my emphasis. Verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, verse 4 and 5 in Hebrew culture, in Jewish culture, is called the Shema because it starts with here. Now, here is Shema in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, they don't have the word for do something, like to actually do something. Here in itself means that if you hear something, it means that you're going to do it. It's why James would say, don't be a just a hearer of the word and you do not a doer, because it's he could not even understand why somebody would, would say that they're a hearer of the word and not do it, because that means you're deceiving yourself, right? So this is called the Shema. And loving the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul and all thy might, is one of the major verses that people believe in Jewish culture that the law is built on. In fact, Jesus called back to it. When, he, when, they, when they asked him, what is the greatest law of all? And Jesus called back to this verse. Now, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel went through three distinct tests. We'll go through that later. But they failed it. They failed it over and over again. It's three times, right? And we'll go through that in detail. Let me not get ahead of myself. We'll go through that in detail later. But going through this test and gaining mastery of these temptations are so important as a man. Because you have to understand that there are different systems in this world that want to be tyrannical over you, that want to subdue you, that want to control you, that want to be lord over you. I'll give you an example. Pharaoh, he tried to reduce the Israelites to just potential for you. And that's the exact same thing that systems in the world have been created to, to reduce men to. For instance, alcohol, um, sexual appetite, um, drugs, in some cases, career, like not some cases, a lot of cases, career, where you put career before the most important things like um, loving the Lord, your wife, your children, you put career ahead of that. So these things try to reduce a man's essence to just potential for you. Like instrumental usage, the way we use a comb, the way you use a laptop, the way you use a phone. These systems are vying for the position in your life to control you on that level. On that level. Right? And that's where addictions come from. So it can be your passion. It can also be addiction. 
And if you become a slave to your addiction, become a slave to your passion, become a slave to your desires, what in essence you are doing is becoming an instrument of that exact thing. Like I can clearly remember when I was addicted to um, sex, right? And I remember I lived with my girlfriend then and I remember she was sick. She was she was sick, but not too sick, right? And of course, sex was off the table then because I was not saved. So I was leaving my girlfriend was having sex regularly. And because of because of the fact that sex was off the table, I was getting agitated and for, agitated and frustrated, right? So what I did was go to a pharmacy. I bought cough syrup that had a high level of codeine in it, came back, gave her an overdose just so she could be knocked out so that I could go and sleep with whoever I wanted to sleep with and come back. That's how mentally deranged I was. Like, sexual desire was using me as an instrument. Another, I'll give you another example. Um, before I got saved, I was in a relationship with this girl. And the only reason I was in a relationship with her, it's not like I loved her or I liked her. I was attracted to her physically, no. The only reason I was in a relationship with this girl was for the sole purpose of being settled financially. She comes from a wealthy home. So marrying into that home was a goal for me. The fact that I know once I'm married to that home, job is short for me, a house is short for me, a few cars are short for me, a comfortable life was short for me. Now, this girl was a prime candidate for me because she had sickle cell anemia. She was a sickle. So in my plans, I planned that we get married one year, two years, and then the drugs she needs at critical points of her life to make sure she doesn't die, at one point at the third year, I'll withhold it so she can pass away. And then I could be free to do whatever I wanted to do with whom I wanted to do it with. Now, that seems very devilish and very demonic. And it is. But you have to understand that I was a slave to money. So money was now using me as an instrument to do whatever it wished to do. So these desires, these systems are systems created by God but perverted by the devil for his use. Sex is an amazing gift created by God to be enjoyed in the safety of marriage. Money is a useful tool, but perverted by the devil can be used to reduce you to just an instrument. To buttress this fact, I'd like to read Romans chapter 6, verse 13. I think from the NLT, Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Because of time, I'll read. It says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to, completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. Use your whole body as an instrument 
to do what is right for the glory of God. There is no in-between. It's either your instrument to serve sin or an instrument of the Lord. There is no in-between. And those three foundational temptations, which every other temptation is built on, is something a man must master so they can submit their whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Having such desires, having such appetites, having such temptations in a controlled and um, uh, mastered state, it's so important. It's so important. It's so important. In fact, it can be something God has called you to do. It can be a passion God has called you to do. But because you've not been able to master certain things, you allow it to go a wrong way. Something God has put, a desire God has put in you. For instance, there's a man of God, I've forgotten his name, but he's one of the gods, one of the, one of the people that was written in God's general. This guy had a wife, and in his history, it was clearly stated that his wife was abusive physically, emotionally, with words, and he suffered so much at home, and he preached a lot and stuff. But the other side of the story was is not told, which is he gave himself so much to ministry that his wife was ne neglected. His wife was ne neglected so much so that her only way of trying to get him to pay attention to her was to react in such a way. So even something God has, a desire God has given you can be gone about the wrong way and you end up in the wrong place. For example, Moses, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 to 15, Moses had the desire to free the people of Israel. It was in him. God put it in him, granted. He tried to liberate the children of Israel out of Pharaoh's grasp by going through his own way. And it ended in disaster. It went horribly wrong for him. So much that he had to run away. There was a guy he saw flogging a Jewish person, right? And he tried to separate them. And so much so he killed the, Jewish, the, the Egyptian person that was flogging the Jewish person. And the person died. And he heard Pharaoh heard, so he had to run away. That is him going about God's calling the wrong way. He went about God's calling the wrong way. So, when that happened, he had to go to the desert. Now, there's something I call the desert experience. Through the Bible, I see it happening over and over and over again. The first person that I saw this happen with was Abraham. Abraham was called out of his family to go to somewhere God would tell him. And historically, geographically, where he was walking through was the land of Israel. And it's really deserty and rocky and stuff. That's the first person that went through that. Now, going through that desert period, 
taught him a lot about the God he served. For instance, God told him to sacrifice his children. Keep in mind that historically, a lot of people at that time sacrificed their children to, to their God. Now God told him to do it. And then God told him not to. So God was teaching him, listen, I'm different from every, every other person. So he went through his own desert experience and came out. The second person that went through that was Moses. Moses failed in carrying out God's plan for his life. And went through it, was going about it by his own standards, and then he failed. And then he went to the desert. He went through his own desert experience. And when he was ready, God called him. Now the children of Israel went through their own desert experience. And you have to think about the brilliance of it because for the years, the decades they've been in slavery, their minds had been conditioned to be slaves. Their minds had been conditioned to be slaves. Now, where would they learn to heal from that trauma, quote-unquote, and learn what God wants them to learn without being influenced by another nation. If they went straight to the promised land, it would have been very easy for them to be influenced. Remember, they had the slave, they had the slave, slave mentality. So they had to undergo the desert experience where no other nation, no other person could survive, if not through the help of God. So God was before them in the pillar of cloud during the day for shade. He was before them also in the pillar of fire at night for warmth because in the desert at night it's extremely cold. In the desert during the day it's extremely hot. Now for food, manna was ruined for them to eat. For water, speaking to a rock, striking the rock, water will come out. For clothes, their clothes never weared off. For meat, Manna was ruined. I said quails was were ruined from heaven for them, and they got meat. So God took care of them through that desert experience, so that they could unlearn who they were, their identity as a slave, and learn their identity as who God wants them to be. Now, as men, when we come to Christ, that is what we are meant to go undergo. That is so important for every man to unlearn what the world has taught him about what it means to be a man, about what it means to be a believer, and learn that, and then learn God's standard. So you can literally X out every standard that the world has taught you, and learn God's standard. Now we're going to go to the crux of the matter. Let's talk about the three temptations that are fundamental. And to do that, we are going to look at Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Now, concurrently, we are going to call back to the times in which the children of Israel failed in that temptation. Remember, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 5, I read three particular things. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Verse 2, for 40 days and 40 nights, 
he fasted and became very hungry. Now, first and foremost, we see that this Holy Spirit led Jesus to go into the wilderness for the fasting and the temptation to happen. It's clear there. And how many days was he fasting in the wilderness? 40 days and 40 nights. Which is a clear reference to the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. Now, let's begin. The first one. Exodus chapter 5 says, You shall love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. The first temptation. It was a heart's temptation. Now, you have to understand that for Israelites, they didn't have a word for brain. To them, everything happens in the heart. That's why they will say, love the Lord of God. Um, sorry, guard your heart, for out of it flows all the issues of life. So to them, your heart is where your brain is. Like That's where everything is. That's where your thinking is. That's where everything is. That's where all your faculties are. In fact, the phrase broken heart was gotten from Hebrew literature, not from anywhere else. Hebrew literature, that's where they got broken heart from. So this was a temptation of your reasoning, your what do you, what actions, do, what, what is the basis of the actions you take every day? Why should you not do this thing or why should you do this thing? Matthew chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. Verse 3 says, During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Verse 4. But Jesus said to him, No. Scripture say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So now, this was Jesus stating the reason why, although he's hungry, he's not going to do what the devil says. I mean, turning bread to stone, what's the difference between turning bread to stone and multiplying bread two times? It's, it's literally almost the same thing. But at one point, it was a temptation. At the other point, he did it. It's because of the reasoning behind it. So the children of Israel, when they got into the desert, rather than remember, God defeated Pharaoh for us. God split the Red Sea for us. We walked on dry ground. Why not us just ask God and trust his word? Trust that he will take care of us. But no, they began to grumble, picked up stones to kill Moses. Because their heart was not set on the Lord. Their reasoning did not have God in the forefront. Their reasons for doing things were not led by God. They were led by the desire. So they failed that first step, that first step, that first step. And thankful and grateful to the Lord, Jesus overcame. Let's call back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So this is, this is um, Moses talking about what happened 
when they failed. That's hard test. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 says, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, with which you did not know, nor did your father know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So it's a clear callback to the time where the children of Israel missed out on this. Missed out on this. And this is so key. It's so important. You have to understand how important it is. It's so important that you understand your reasons why. Because when temptation comes, it comes to overtake all your faculty. You will see a man who has a beautiful wife, a lovely home, has children he caters for, who is actively cheating on his wife and can actually say he loves his children, even if you can you can argue with him on the fact that he doesn't love his wife. But if you tell him, do you love your children? You say, yes, I love them. But normal reasoning will say, you don't love your children. If you love your children, you will not cheat on your wife because you know that a broken home fragments children's minds. It's not healthy for children. There was a study that was carried out. Most of the men in American jail cells come from broken homes. In fact, the time I was studying, and I just got there by the Holy Spirit to do a quick study on the world's worst tyrants, the world's worst evil people, Hitler, Genghis Khan, all of them. Guess what? They come from broken homes. Each and every one of them come from broken homes. So a man can reason and say, oh, you know what? It's not actually cheating if my wife doesn't know about it. So there are so many faulty reasonings that can go on in our minds. For instance, me personally reasoning that, oh, you know what? My girlfriend um, is not feeling fine. So I'm being nice to her by not having sex with her so that I can drug her to go and have sex with somebody else. That was my reasoning. Or the reason that I said I'll get married to this girl that I was dating, that I was not attracted to, I did not love, I did not even like, just so that at the third year, when she looks for drugs that are meant to make, make her better, I can hide it and she can die so I can get more money. That was my reasoning. That's so evil. And that's the reason a lot of men are going with these days. That's the reason a lot of men are going with these days. So this is the first test that a man must undergo. In fact, as I list out this test, some of you will know where you're being tested at this point so that you can know that almost is important. And I can tell you for the fact that if you don't overcome it, it will come again. It's like you keep repeating a class. It will come again, it will come again, it will come again. And the problem a lot of people do is because they keep failing the class, they don't take the time to try and overcome this class and they progress with their life. They go and get married, they have children, and it turns out like it turns out very awful. Most of the problems men face is because they've not mastered these three things. We've spoken about one, the heart. You see, all the problems, even the ones that we cannot even conceive that are coming maybe in the nearest future when they start having flying cars or whatever, it still boils down to these three things. Heart, soul, and mind. Now we've spoken about heart. Let's talk about mind. Soul, sorry. Might. We'll talk about might, then we'll talk about soul. 
might. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 to 7. Matthew 4, 5 to 7. Verse 5. When the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, verse 6, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and he will uphold you with your hand. So you won't even hurt a foot on, your, on a stone. Verse 7, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now this temptation was a temptation of are you are you doubtful that the Lord is with you or not? Are you doubtful that the Lord can provide for you? Listen, one of the best things the Lord told me when I was getting married because I don't come from a wealthy home. So me, the Lord told me to get married at the point that he told me to get married, which was during my NYC. It was so difficult for me because I could not, I could not conceive the fact that I would get married and get no problem. I will get married and move to Joss in Nigeria, which is Joss is, is, is less when it comes to economical strain than Abuja. The Lord said, no, you get married, Mr. Abuja, and leave Mr. Abuja. I said, how, Father? I don't have, I'm getting 198 and 20K with, as I was doing social media management. I said, it doesn't work this way. I don't have a rich father that will set me up. And then he just said, I'm your dad. I'm your father. I'll take care of you. I'm the one that's telling you to do it. I will provide for it. And he did in miraculous ways. He did. He backed up his word. I got promoted at work. I was earning 120K. People gave towards us, towards the wedding. People said they would pay the house. Like, things just started happening. Right? So he did provide. So now the question is, do you trust God? Do you trust God with your mind? The fact that you think you are the provider, the sole provider. So what a lot of men do is they throw themselves into their work, throw themselves into their career, prioritizing it over their family. I have to provide. I have to. Like, I used to work in 9 to 5, and there are some trips that my colleagues would take that I will have to turn down. Because either at that point, maybe I'm trying to invest in my relationship with my wife at that point and I can't travel then, or it's my daughter's birthday or my daughter's need me or something, and I'll turn it down. And honestly, yes, it can, in the natural sense of things, it can reduce my prospects of getting a promotion or getting paid more because I'm not taking those trips as much as my colleagues are taking. But I know what's priority to me. And thankful to God, I still got promoted regardless of that. So this is a temptation of your mind. Are you going to be able to trust that the Lord has you? That you don't have to take any shady deals? That you don't have to make money through shady means? That you don't have to be, you don't have to rely on wrong ways of getting money because you want to fend for your family? Will you trust the Lord with your mind? Because listen to what, it, in verse 7, Jesus responds and says, the scripture also says you should not test the Lord your God. Now, why did Jesus reply this temptation with this verse? Let's go to where this verse was quoted. Exodus 17, verse 7. And he called the name, 
This is, and he called the name of the place Massa, which is what uh, Moses was saying. Exodus 17, verse 7. And he called the name Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Context, they were thirsty and wanted to drink water and they started complaining, asking if God was with them. They did not trust that the Lord was with them. So the devil tempting Jesus to, to tempt and doubt if God was actually with him by jumping. Let's see if God is with you. Let's see if God backs you. Let's see if God is actually going to provide for you. Test him. Jump and see if he will catch you. But Jesus responded by saying, you must not test the Lord your God. So in whatever variation a temptation might come out from this might, you have to master it. I'll give you an example. My wife and I were married, I think, about a year. We already had a daughter by then. And things were not really that nice financially. And then, but I know that the Lord told me to remain in Abuja. I know that one clearly, even before I got married. A job opportunity comes. And this is a relative who was going to prioritize they told they gave a job to look for people to work in a certain field, which I was qualified for. And this was for UNICEF. And the relative was like, Oh, just send me your details, you can get the job. Well paying for somebody who was earning 120k, 500k a month was a lot of money. Well paid, but I will have to travel to Meduguri. And I can't take my family because where I was traveling to was going to be a high-risk location. But on Fridays, they will helicopter me from Meduguri to Abuja. I will see my family Friday, Saturday. Sunday, they will helicopter me back. This was very, very tempting. But for two things. Number one, I know that the Lord wanted me to stay in Abuja. Number two, I know that it's not the Lord's desire that as a man, I will be somewhere else and my family will be somewhere else. It doesn't make any sense. Managers of maybe a large store like ShopRite or I don't know the stores in Canada or something, they don't manage remote. You can't manage, you can't be a remote manager. It doesn't work. You have to be there on ground. And this is a family that I'm the head of. I can't be the head remotely. It's not a remote job. So they said I can't carry my family there. And that means I can't take it. I'm promising you that it was not an easy decision to make. Because, I mean, this is better pay for my family. But I knew the Lord was not leading me there. Now, that is a question of might. That is a question of might. So now we're talking about heart, talking about might. We're now finally talking about soul. Remember, we read Exodus chapter 6, that says, 6 verse 5, Exodus 6, verse 5, that says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. We've spoken about heart, spoken about soul, now might. No, spoken about heart and might, now talking about soul. Matthew 4, 8 to 10. Matthew 4, 8 to 10. Verse 8 says, Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Verse 9, I will give it all to you, he said if you will kneel down and worship me. Verse 10 says, Get out of here, Satan, Jesus said to you. For the scriptures say, You must not worship the Lord your God. You must not worship 
anyone but the Lord your God and serve only him. That was Jesus' reply to him. Now, this is a callback to the test that the Israelites went underwent in, in, in the wilderness, which they failed woefully. Because by the time Moses was coming back from the mountain, holding the tablet, they had already created a golden calf and were worshipping him, worshipping that calf. And they said something. They said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Now, you have to understand what the worship of Baal is. Because that was Baal. That was the God Baal. Baal is a Semitic noun meaning owner or lord. Lord of life, fertility, and wealth. More, fertility, more, more of wealth, but fertility, life, and wealth is also part of it. But more on wealth. Life and fertility is part of it, but more on wealth. He was also the king of the gods. And Baal was commonly symbolized as a bull. Now, in the U.S. Stock Exchange, Wall Street, in the center of Wall Street, there's a statue. And if you Google it, I think you'll see what statue that is. It's a bull. In fact, they call major winnings the bull market. The bull market. Like, oh, you made, you cashed out the lot, oh, you, you, had, you took advantage of the bull market and stuff. You have to understand that money, resources. Think about what the devil was tempting Jesus with. He said he, he said he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, all the riches, all the wealth, everything, and said, if you kneel and worship me, I will give it to you. As a man, you are going to be faced with money temptation. It's a given. It's a given. And sadly, in this world, it's something that a lot of men fall prey to. Money over everything. They are willing to do anything for money. They're willing to live any life for money. It's not like you have to understand that. The devil is not going to use anybody's father or sister for anything, when they say sacrifice your father or your sister, what well, they're not going to use anybody use that, or when they, when they say, Oh, go and eat excrete or bath in the middle of the street, the devil doesn't need all those things. What he's trying to test is how far can you go for money, how much of yourself can you give for money, how much of your life's worth, your worship, can you give to money. And as a man, you are going to have to master this. You're going to have to understand the use of money and put it in its right place. I understand all these things are easier said than done. And it takes some time to build up to it. But once you get and master, so the more, the more you overcome the temptations that come in these three formats, the better you get at it, the better you get at it, the more you grow in it. But you have to understand that it's important that you master these three things. To be all that God has called you to be. Listen, I'm a marriage counselor. I'm also 
um, a council of people who have gone through addictions and stuff. Because I myself was addicted to porn, masturbation, drugs, and sex for the longest time until I got saved. I've seen men in the worst places in their lives because they've not been able to master these things. I can't give clear examples, so I can't. I will share, I won't say who it is, but there's this celebrity in America, in, um, in in Nigerian celebrity, very fine, handsome young gentleman, married, has a has a child, very wonderful. On the outside, looks amazing, but there was a heart problem, and he's giving. He's allowed the desires of his flesh reduce him into an instrument of use. So he pays serious money to be part of an exclusive club. Like we already started counseling at this point, but they had paid before we started counseling. Part of an exclusive club in Paris where it's a gay club, right? So he's struggling with homosexual tendencies. So while we're do doing the counseling, he actually traveled to Paris. And when one day, one of the week, one like we, we have counseling one day every week. So one of the week, I realized I was not home. I said, What happened? You traveled. Oh, you went for work for a few things in Paris and stuff. I said, okay, no problem. Continue counseling. The next time he was in Lagos, and then he decided to come clean and tell me what happened. He went to Paris for the sex club meeting, you have to stay in the hotel for about one week where you are tested to see if you have any, anything, any um, um, diseases or anything. When you're ready, when you're ready to, to lead you to the dungeon and you can have sex. So when he went there, they were having, everybody was having sex in different places, different things were happening. Now imagine, how much money he had spent trying to get access to feed his flesh. Just, just think about it. Just think about it. It's, there are certain decisions that you can take because that desire you have given yourself to has made you an instrument. It will not make sense. Like, when you're done, with the, with whatever you're doing, that's when you will not be like, ah, what was I doing? But in that instance, you're not thinking straight anymore. As someone who has struggled with masturbation and pornography, at the point when you're watching porn and masturbating, you're not like you don't think about how awful what you're doing is, how disgusting it is, until you're done. You're not just like, my God, what have I done? What is happening here? And that is because these desires have made and subdued a lot of men to become just inch, mere instruments. So as a man, every other thing, being a good father, being a good husband, being someone who is sound in career, being a, a plus to society, is built on the precipice of mastering your heart, your soul, and your mind, the temptations that will come out of these three. And once you are able to do that, there is no stopping you. Listen, I've lived the life that my desires controlled me. And I got saved, and I lived the life that 
I have given my body to be an instrument for the Lord. And I can categorically tell you that there is nothing on that on the other side. Life lived to its fullest is right here in Christ. Sometimes I look at my children, look at my wife, and I'm just so grateful to God that he took me out of that, renewed my mind, and placed me into the family that I am right now. And that is such is something that I'm so grateful to God for because I can't see life any other way. It's so wonderful, trust me. Being totally, like for instance, in a marriage, in a romantic relationship in a marriage, the joy of being owned and owning someone totally, honestly, with all your heart, with all your soul, with being totally open, it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. Living without having a dark cloud over your head of will I be found out? Will somebody find out? Will somebody know that I'm struggling with these things? Ooh, 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 I'm carrying this baggage. Oh, I enjoy it, so I, I will just keep doing it. The life that God has for each and every one of us is so wonderful, so fulfilling. That I will call on every man here to master your desires. Master your desires. The life that you actually want is on this other side. And a lot of men think they can play the game of having a wonderful family and still living a life subject to their desires. It's not possible because you will not be able to even be satisfied and fulfilled and enjoy the life of that God is trying to offer you because you will not even see. You won't be able to see it. So you will not be able to access it. It's, it's like a man thinking he can cheat on his wife as long as his wife doesn't know. He can love his wife and everything. You can't do that. You won't be able to be satisfied in the love of your wife and get to know her let your relationship grow because you're already living towing a, 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 a wrong line. You're submitting your instruments to be used to the devil. So you'll be able to enjoy all the goodies that God has for you in a controlled, spirit-led life. And grace to God, this is possible in Christ, by His spirit. It's very possible. The life I lived before, I got saved January 16, 2017. Before then, I was addicted to weed. Weed had to happen every day. Cocaine had to happen at least three times a week because it's expensive. Sex had to happen every day. Not every day. I think, yeah, like maybe every fortnight. Or, no, not every fortnight. Like maybe, maybe three times a week or something. Because I was leaving my parents' house, so it was more difficult to do that. Masturbation and pornography every day. Sometimes I could not eat if I had no masturbating watch point and then I get seen this has been about six seven years since then I forget but there's been six seven years and I've been free from all those things up till now so by the spirit of God and my salvation story might be very dramatic but it's the same thing with everybody you will not have a life when you get saved the life that is in you 
is destroyed and the spirit of God is put in you. And from there, you can live a life free of addictions, free of all these things. From there, you can master all the temptations that come from these three things. And you have to understand the temptations don't stop. They never stop. But what happens is you get more mastery of it. You are able to see the devil coming from a, from a mile away and you can say no easily to it. But temptations will never stop as long as you live in this world. So I would like to plead with all of us here. The the God is calling us to be men who will bring uh, masculinity to where his original design. And for us to do that, we have to master these three things. It's in mastering these three things that you can be the best father ever. It's in mastering these three things you can be the best wife ever. It's in mastering these three things that you can be a minister of the gospel who can build a legacy for a lifetime and live and not have that legacy be tainted. It's in mastering these three things that you can be a maverick, a man after God's heart. And like I said, we all have the Holy Spirit and he's the one enabling us. It might seem like a tall climb. It might seem like a tall ask. But you have to understand that it's not by my might, nor by your power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. With that, I've come to the end of our discussion. And, mm -hmm. yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening. Glory to God.